Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. We are at another edition of Rob Observations. Rob Observations is where I continue to chronicle my journey with comic books, how comic books uh, that I loved were put together, released, packaged, the effect they've had on the culture, as I have watched since I was a wee seven-year-old boy. So today we are gonna not do a marathon Peter Jackson uh, epic, you know, uh, extended cut as we have been going long on some of these. Today we're gonna uh, have have a, a, a more concise, brief episode that uh, still looks to enlighten. So let's get right into it. You know, I love this topic of comic books. I could do one of these every day. Honestly, I just am, am so digging them. And the one thing that I've always dug about comic books, and, and this is going to start today with a couple of uh, really kind of relevant topics. And then we are going to move at the end. I'm going to kind of towards the middle. I will be sharing the most important advice I ever got in comics. The most important advice that I ever received in comics I got at a young age in my career I was able to implement it and it and 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 put it to great work but it was it was key information provided to me uh in 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 the form of a, a little a little bit of a scolding and it's by my friend Todd McFarlane who reached out and uh kind of keyed me into what I should be doing and I applied it and we're going to work our way towards that most of the comic books that you love most of the comic books that we enjoyed are based on long-standing runs it's not the characters i don't buy every issue of batman or spider-man or daredevil i only bought daredevil when frank miller was doing it he left and i stuck around for a few issues to kind of sniff out what was going on i left shortly after he did because i wasn't really into the character as much as i was Frank Miller's specific version of that character. I had not bought uh, a regular Batman title outside of a team-up Batman title until Frank did The Dark Knight, which was a dedicated Batman title. I bought that. He then, after The Dark Knight, did a, another series, mini-series, called Batman Year One. Frank wrote it, an amazing young talent, very much uh, mentored by Frank Miller named David Mazzuccelli, illustrated it. Batman Year One, I was on for that. When they were gone, so was I. I have always followed creators and artists, uh, and, and an artist, it, it can be a writer. I mean, again, a, a composer of a song is an artist, a performer of a song that you love is an artist, a director of a great movie or TV show is an artist, an actor is an artist. So I follow the artist. I see everything Quentin Tarantino puts his name on. Producing, directing, I'm there. I, I, I like the voice that he has uh, shared with me. I, I seek it out. I consume it. I, I allow it to enlighten me. It, it, it's a, it's a great, uh, source of inspiration for me. Steven Spielberg's films, uh, most of Francis Ford Coppola's films, Martin Scorsese's films, James Cameron's films. These are people, uh, Zack Snyder's films. These are voices that I follow the same in comics. The longer the run, the more extended the voice, the more important and resonant the influence. Jack Kirby and Stan Lee did 100 plus issues of the Fantastic Four. It is the bedrock with which Marvel sprang from. It, they, they built so much of their foundation from that. If you don't have the Fantastic Four, you don't get the Silver Surfer, you don't get Black Panther, you don't get the Inhumans. 
you don't get Dr. Doom. You don't get the Frightful Four. Uh, there is just so much that that uh, entire franchise raised up and established. I mean, Reed Richards, his, his genius intellect, all of the different scientific components that he introduced through the lens that they uh, told their stories through, these fan fantastic science. I was looking at some of the guns that Jack was drawing the other day and all the way he would meld the handle to the position of the hand that he drew. And those handles are wildly kind of impossible to imagine, but they look cool. And so Reed Richards was essentially able to think of things that were cool and do things that were cool and open portals and you battle the Nihilus and the Negative Zone and so much of what they accomplished in those early, that first 100 plus issues is what has continued to drive the Marvel Universe today. That 100 plus run is why Disney bought, bought Fox and that catalog. And I'll tell you for a fact, I was with an executive at Marvel in 2016 having dinner with them. And they said, you know, this, this is the way this person talks. I'm not going Im to imitate them at this time. But he said, look, in the middle of the night, these are his words, in the middle of the night, would we, you know, write a $500 million check to get the Fantastic Four back? We would. That's how valuable that catalog is to us. We, we would do that in the middle of the night. Would we always in the middle of the night, which I'm not really sure why that has to be the preface of that statement, but in the middle of the night, I would write a check. We would write a check. Our company would write a check for $500, $600 million so that we could get Dr. Doom and Silver Surfer and the Frightful Four and Annihilus and Galactus and do them justice and get the original, the original four because they are the bedrock of Marvel Comics because they had that extensive legendary run that impacted so much. Now, they've been able to obviously spin off Black Panther into his own wonderful series. They made an attempt at bringing the Inhumans to life. All of that is a result of the Fantastic Four. If there is no Fantastic Four, there is no Wakanda. There is no Prince T'Challa. None of that exists. That was in the Fantastic Four run. Runs are great. They give you these amazing uh, journeys, explorations, and, and, and characters and, and some secondary characters, some important characters, some breakout superstars are what you receive along the way. Big runs. John Byrne, Terry Austin, Chris Claremont do the big transformational run of the X-Men. Frank Miller on Daredevil. Walt Simonson follows up a, you know, gazillion issue run of Jack Kirby. He didn't follow it. Like, he didn't come right after it. Thor kind of floundered after Kirby left. Uh... And Thor didn't have quite the voice or the resonance, and it didn't have the impact. Walt Simonson, in 1983, arrives on Thor, shakes everybody, stays on that book for three-plus years, maybe a little longer, and it becomes a top-selling book. Again, he, he stayed. He, he had a run. So when we were discussing uh, in one of the future, one, one of the previous podcasts, I brought up the Legion of Superheroes, a book from DC Comics about their superheroes that they have been publishing in the 30th century. I brought up the fact that they were so popular that they received two monthly comics. They received two monthly comics. So you got the Legion twice a month. And in 1984, that was the ultimate anointing of the brand. If you could take one book and suddenly have the sales with which to go to two books, then you were going places. You were important. 
you are having a major impact. And in every possible way, the Legion was soaring. A buddy of mine who was listening to this podcast said to me, said, what? The Legion was popular? Uh, in, in, in no place in my comic book history has Legion been popular, not even popular enough to have two books. So when I listened to your podcast, I was just like, at what point in time did this occur? Well, I'll tell you when it occurred. A guy named Keith Giffen, who had been doing mostly fill-in work for Marvel and DC during his career, he was a guy, if he did an issue of Iron Man, if he did an issue of of uh, of the Defenders, if he did a few issues of the Defenders, I was there. I, 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 I completely was down for it. I followed it. It was exciting. But then he came on, on the Legion of Superheroes. And on the Legion of Superheroes is where he made his mark. He made a tremendous impact. He stayed around for the better part of three, 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 three to four years. He changed the way the book looked. He changed the architecture of the 30th century. He changed the way the characters interacted, the technology, the movement, the scale, the, 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 scale, the scope of the stories. All Keith Giffen. A gentleman named Paul Levitz had already been there. But much like John Byrne, Keith Giffen stepped in, paired himself with Paul Levitz, and took off on this run that made it one of the best-selling top draws in the DC catalog and a certain fan favorite in the eyes of all the comic fans of that period. And people were scooping it up. The Legion soared. Once again, you got a singular voice who came on. He didn't just do a fill-in. He didn't just do an annual. And we'll dig into annuals here in a little while. He did an extended run that suddenly these heroes from the 30th century were the best thing in comics. They were the most exciting the relationships, the the uh, perils, because the Legion was a big book. It had a cast of of probably twenty characters, and you're like twenty characters. Yep, and you managed during this time to care about each and every one of them. Characters that were never my favorites. Suddenly, I'm deeply invested in them, and it was uh, Keith Giffen. We'll talk about influences at some point because we're going to mention some of that today. Keith had a Jim Starlin base, a George Perez influence and a Jack Kirby base and he mixed it all up into this ridiculously appealing style of storytelling the way he broke down the panels we've been through this before he had a very specific way he designed pages but I cannot even emphasize enough the architecture and the way the book looked you no longer they didn't tell you they were in the 30th century as they had for so long the architecture and the way that this world was portrayed looked different and that is a result of Keith Giffen's illustration, design work, and his style. But he was there, and it happened. And so in 1984, the book is so hot, they spin it off into one of these deluxe, printed on nicer paper, heavier cardstock, the deluxe Legion of Superheroes. I think it even costs a little more. So you had a kind of a monthly Titans book that... Sorry, the Titans had two books as well. The Titans and the Legion were the two books that spun off into two a month. One on this deluxe, they called it Baxter paper, and one on the standard newsprint. And the standard newsprint still gave you new stories, but now Keith Giffen is leaving the Legion newsprint and going to the Baxter edition. 
is a big deal. Full page house ads, giant posters in your store, Legion, Legion, Legion. Again, you haven't heard of the Legion since because the Legion was never better before or after Keith Giffen left. There have been admirable efforts, but just like the Titans, just like Burn on X-Men, just like Frank on Daredevil, just like Walt on Thor, these guys left these books and no one has exceeded them ever before. I will have those arguments with you. If you want to have those arguments with me, somebody right now is preparing their Jason Aaron Thor argument and just say that it's not the same. It has none of the cultural impact. Thor Ragnarok and Thor Dark World and the original Thor are all combos of Jack Kirby and Walt Simonson. Walt is the predominant source, especially as we get into the Dark World where you have Malkith as the villain. Um, uh, we haven't even seen Beta Ray Bill. Everybody wants Beta Ray Bill because that is the Electra, the Dark Phoenix of Walt Simonson's run. It's the thing that made everybody sit up straight. But Taika Waititi's Thor Ragnarok was the most faithful to the tone and the uh, expression of Walt's transformational run. That book was mega red hot. Couldn't miss it. And as admirable as anyone else's run, Someone else is saying, hey, man, Roy Thomas's run before Walt Simonson was, was memorable. It was good. It was decent. I was there. I bought all these books. Walt's Thor was the last time the book was a shining beacon on the hill of comic books. Just like Frank Miller. Admirable efforts since all trying to be Frank Miller, all invoking what Frank did best with that book or not, and not coming close to touching what he did. X-Men is still running to catch up with what they did in those transformational issues that are still held in such high regard. I did mention, like I said before, the original art on those X-Men books. Like You can't get a page of the John Byrne, Terry Austin stuff without forking over some, something like 25, 30 grand. There was literally just an explosion in space which had a tiny Charles Xavier Professor X head on it. And I said, really, do I want to ask the price on this to a dealer at a recent convention? He's like, you know, I, I got asked 26,000. I'm like, it's an explosion in space. And there's one alien and Charles Xavier. Hey man, you know what these things go for? That's because of the run. That's because of the adoration and the high regard that that run is carried in that the worst, least interesting page in the series of this run will still cost you 30 grand. Will still cost you, you know, a car or two to 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 acquire. That's what transformational runs do. You got to put your time in. You got to do a run. What makes a transformational run? Can a transformational run beat like eight issues like Dark Knight was? Well, Dark Knight was four issues, but each book was double sized, so that's eight issues worth of work. If every issue is double sized and they're 48 pages instead of 22 pages, then you are looking at eight plus issues worth of work. And of course, that can get the job done. Uh, runs, my basic kind of understanding through my own career and others is runs, 100 pages, get you in the door. It's the kind of the minimum requirement, five issues. Uh, I'll get to it in a little while. Hawk and Dove, the miniseries that kind of transformed my career, got me launched into the stratosphere, got my phone ringing off the hook. That was five issues. That was 100 plus pages. Just under 100 plus pages, 105, 106 pages. That gets you in the conversation. You're there every month for the reader. You're coming out. You're there June, July, August, September, and October, as we were with Hawk and Dove. And suddenly the phone rings. And suddenly people go, hey, man, this guy can deliver. And we're going to get into one of the cleverest accidental runs. Matter of fact, 
it's really the only run that this significant talent ever had, but it created the heat with which he continues to trade on to this day. And we're going to get right into it. His name is Arthur Adams. He is one of the most impactful, uh, influential artists of any age. He arrived on the scene in his young 20s, and he was fortunate enough to have a year like 1985. And 1985 is where his entire body of work that amounted to several years worth of work was published in succession. And you did not know that what you were picking up was the product of two and a half years work. All you knew was that you were getting it every 30 days and it was blowing your mind. And you forged that relationship with that talent. And in this case, it was Art Adams. I had known Art as a fan. I'm probably 15 or 16 when he's 20, 21. Uh, I think there's about five or six years between us. And when his work hit, I was like, oh my gosh, who is this guy that draws the best version of every character I've ever seen? Wolverine, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Batman. Everybody that Art drew looked like the perfect version of what you wanted them to look like. And he was borrowing in his influences. He had some Michael Golden. He had some Walt Simonson. He had some Michael Kaluta. Uh, K-A-L-U-T-A. His work is stunning. He was more of a fine illustrator. He did some sci-fi stories, some Madame Xanadu covers that would blow you away. And there's one Madame Xanadu cover in particular that Michael Kaluta drew of a beautiful face of Madame Xanadu. And that face would be on many of Arthur's faces. So you can always source influences. We're influenced. Arthur would go on to be the primary influence for everybody at Image Comics. He is one of the significant 30% or better influence on Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, Eric Larson, Jim Lee, Wills Portacio, Mark Silvestri. I can keep going. It's so many. Art was like a meteor hitting comic books. And he did it all in the span of basically 10 issues worth of work. And you really never heard from him on any sort of consistent manner ever again because the, the the work came out, you fell in love with him, and then he kind of went into an autopilot once yearly. You, you got his work literally once a year. But I met him on the convention circuit, gushing over his work, couldn't believe how great it was, couldn't believe how refined he was at a young age, loved all the mashups of his talent. I'd see Walt Simonson and this guy, a little more Michael Golden here. He had these pages he was drawing. It was for a book called Long Shot. It was a brand new Marvel miniseries. It was a really cool looking character, cool design, leather kind of jumpsuit with kind of a holster of knives across his chest. He had a blonde mullet. He had a glowing eye. Hey, now you're now you're talking, right? Longshot was a really cool, beautiful looking book that never makes a dent unless art draws it. And it's one of those weird things that his version of Longshot is so ingrained in me that when anyone else draws it, it's just it falls short because he drew Longshot so ridiculously personally. It was a reflection of him and his work in such a way that I always go, well, that that's not how Arthur draws Longshot. So Longshot, he was drawing pages in 1983 of the first issue. Over the course of the next two years, I would see him at all these different conventions. He would go to a lot of the different Southern California conventions. He lived in Northern California. So it was a cheap ticket for a conventioneer to hop him up to the Disneyland Hotel, to the Anaheim Convention Center, to some comic store in Huntington Beach. He was all over the place. I always hunted him down. He was aware of me as a drooling fanboy. He actually, I paid for him to do a long shot sketch in my book at the uh, 1985-1984 San Diego Comic Con, one of the two. 
1985 will be a staging of a very interesting Art Adams uh, episode that I'll that I'll get to here in just a second. But so I saw Longshot piece together over the years. Uh, Art would bring these 11 by 17 Xeroxes, chock full of detail. I've never seen anyone draw as tight and as dark and as controlled a pencil line. And that was probably uh, an attribute of why maybe the book was coming in slower. But I was just anxious to hold it in my hands and to get it. And I, and I was watching pages from this book in early 1983. Well, that's when I'm a sophomore in high school. And when I'm a senior in high school, I remember the announcements that Longshot was finally coming out. So, you know, spring of 1985, Longshot is now coming out. And when it comes out, it is released every month, every 30 days. You are picking up. I, the covers that I've held in my hands, the pages that I've poured over are now inked, colored, published between two staples. And it is one of my favorite comics. And he does to everybody else what anybody who was fortunate to see him on the comic convention circuit did. He blew them away. Who is this brand new talent? Oh my gosh. He fit a few covers in during the way. But these issues start shipping. They start shipping with great regularity. And along the way, at one of the conventions, he pulls out pages to this New Mutant Special Edition. Now, everybody my age knows exactly what this New Mutant Special Edition is. The New Mutants are transported to Asgard. It is like a 60-page giant size uh, special it is inked by Terry Austin. It is the finest representation of Art's work that I have ever seen. It is the one of the most staggering uh, art books. They they had an album, an, a hardcover, extra oversized album when I was in Italy last year of this job, and I scooped it up immediately. Oh my gosh, you might get to have this in almost eleven by like like twelve by fifteen size, like a Treasury Edition tabloid comic. Oh my gosh, hardcover, and and this this is work that is you know. From 1985, but so in the middle of Longshot, he uh, accepts this job because Chris Claremont is, has fallen in love with him, head over heels, wants him to do this project. They basically created this project for Art. Art now starts doing this while also finishing up Longshot 6. Well, New Mutant Special Edition was only one part of the story. It would continue into an X-Men annual that would wrap up this Asgardian Wars because what do you do when the New Mutants kids are trapped in Asgard, all scattered across this magic realm, is you send the X-Men to get them back. So Storm and Colossus and Nightcrawler and Wolverine are all dispatched to Asgard to get the kids back. So we get an, another adventure that sews up the New Mutants Special Edition. All total, this is probably about 85 pages, maybe a little longer, this Asgardian New Mutants X-Men annual. Everybody remembers it as like the Asgardian adventure. And, and the X-Men in, in Thor's realm with, without Thor. But it's goblins, it's trolls, it's, it's Gila. You know, it's, it's, so, it's so beautiful. It's, it's just a stunning piece of work. But he's generating this while Longshot is finally on the publication trail. And Longshot 6 is also a double-sized comic. So Longshot 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 are all 22 pages. You're, you've, you've met the minimum requirement of your 100-plus pages that you're making your relationship with your reader. And issue 6, which is coming out in like September, is a double-sizer. And it's magnificent. It guest stars Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange never looked better. Art is just, just what a style. What an amazing-looking uh just style that he was able to forge. Everything in the world reflected the way he saw grass, mountains, rocks, people. His people were very short-waisted. Their trunk was very short, and then they had long hips and very elongated legs. 
and slightly longer arms and very chiseled faces, big eyes, tiny noses, huge impact on every aspect of my style. And again, everybody who was on the precipice of breaking into comics was right there with him being influenced by him. And so art was, again, like I said, the deep impact of comic book artist. He hit boom. But so the New Mutants Annual is done. It's finished. It's it's on the schedule. It's going to come out before concurrently with in between Longshot 5 and 6. But I am at the San Diego Comic-Con in 1985 and I am drooling all over Art's pages. And he pulls out, he's at the Marvel table. He pulls out the actual Bristol boards that he is drawing on the last 10, 15 pages of the X-Men annual that's going to be printed in the fall that wraps up the New Mutants. They are on a tight deadline. His editor is there with them. There are inkers in the building attending the show. And those inkers are Al Gordon, Joe Rubenstein, Bruce Patterson, who did a long stint with George Perez on Wonder Woman, uh, an inker named Art Nichols. There were, there were many hands on deck. They each were given a number of pages. They said they'd ink them overnight. They would return with them the next day. I can't even tell you how excited this made me that I would see these pages come back assembled the next day. I made sure that on Sunday afternoon, I was back in front of the Marvel table. Art was there doing commissions, drawing, pen tightening up some of those pages, signing copies of Longshot, promoting his career as Al Gordon, Joe Rubenstein, Bruce Patterson. One by one, they all brought the pages that they did in their hotel room last night, or they did them at their table with their crow quill, their brushes. And it was like, wow, I'm getting to see all these pages handed in. And it's when you get to see a book produced up close and personal on the convention floor, you know, it is something that I have been remiss that I need to do myself. I need to show up at the San Diego Comic-Con and give 22 pages to 22 anchors and make sure I get them back in my hands on Sunday. That is, those are, those are squad goals that I keep meaning to do. And now that I'm talking to you about it, I have to do it. But I saw it. I saw it up close and personal. 10 pencil pages became 10 inked pages overnight. Really top quality guys. Al Gordon had been inking John Byrne on Fantastic Four. Joe Rubenstein had inked John Byrne, George Perez, Jim Starlin, all the greats. One of the best inkers of his age. Art Nichols was breaking in up in Northern California. Knew Arthur very well. Followed his lines, you know, in, in the best manner that he could. These guys all handled hand these pages in. And X-Men Annual comes out in September I think the same week that Longshot 6 did. So, Longshot, created over two and a half years, released in one six-month window in 1985, and alongside is a New Mutants annual and an X-Force annual. So Arthur Adams is giving you six issues, but really seven issues worth of work because Longshot is double-sized. New Mutants is almost three comics. Okay, so now we're at 10, and X-Men annual is like an issue and a half worth so you're, you're at almost 11, 12 issues worth of work. That is Art Adams' signature. Bright, shining moment of his career is 1985. Every fan hung on every line. He was our new favorite everything. And he never would go on to produce more than, I believe, three comics on a monthly basis ever again. Not full 22-page comics. In 1991, he does three issues of the Fantastic Four. He does spotty fill-in work and annuals. From that point going forward, and you are just always excited to show up and get an Art Adams X-Men annual or an Art Adams New Mutants annual because that's what he did. He basically became the special annual artist in the X-Men office. One time he did a Action Comics annual featuring Superman and Batman over at DC. But again, you were getting him once a year 
maybe if you were lucky twice a year he started doing a lot of covers he was super in demand his uh his imprimatur was immediately recognizable you loved art adams i know art art knows i love him all of this is said out of the most affection and adoration i can have for an artist whose work that i absolutely you know adore worship but 1985 made art adams that run that is the minimum requirement he met the hundred he went to probably 200 pages and dazzled us and his career it, 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 they, they would say in hollywood he's been cashing checks on 1985 ever since he's been dining out on that body of work he has done you know different short stories mostly annuals a couple issues of ultimate x-men a few years ago those four issues were dazzling um you know but but art is not a guy who has a giant body of work in terms of con successive storytelling but 1985 launched him into the stratosphere and how did it do how they do it how was it achieved it was done through runs a run of comics an absolute brilliant run of comics hundreds of pages that came to us on a monthly basis the relationship was forged the fondness was there the relationship uh the the attraction was established and so after hawk and dove after i did hawk and dove which was five issues and my phone started ringing off the hook and that's 110 pages we had transformed hawk and dove which was a title nobody wanted prior we had turned it into a really good seller boom phone's ringing i'm offered work my editor was a good guy his name was bob harris he's a really good guy because he said rob i want to put you on one of our monthly books either x factor or new mutants both are going to need a new talent a new voice but i need six months uh members of both books had either achieved that um, they were either getting married or having children i can't specifically remember which but these were big seminal life moments that people should be able to enjoy without knowing that they have been replaced or removed and i absolutely positively accepted under those conditions okay so in six months i'll have regular work and and he said i will put you on these different fill-in jobs so i did x-men i did x factor i did uh annuals i did two annuals that connected with a connective story but again these are annuals are 48 page books that came out spring and summer all through my youth and up through this time they were special kind of bonus books that these publishers would put out always with fairly great names attached to them when i was a kid we had a in 1976 we had a road trip uh, much like all the staycations that we are experiencing now we had a road trip that uh, took us from southern california to visit our friends in new mexico and obviously back the liefelds could not afford the plane tickets but the liefelds could pack a car and do a road trip with the best of them and along the way we did you know the grand canyon and we saw different benchmarks but the trip started with two annuals that i had purchased at the 7-eleven before we took off on the road my parents knew that if we got robbed two annuals two comic books they didn't know they were going to be annuals two comic books or whatever he'd be so happy in the backseat i was it was an avengers annual drawn by george perez they battled nuclo the nuclear man huge awesome great memories i would look up and see the cars whizzing by the landscapes changing but the avengers annual was in my hand i also bought a defenders annual hulk power man dr strange valkyrie nighthawk awesome salby Semma, klaus jansen did the artwork on that one that was also just go through the avengers annual put it in my bag go through the defenders annual i was living these great marvel standalone annual stories and it was so much fun and 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 those were the memories of the first leg of that trip 
We would stay overnight, I think, uh, at kind of in Arizona somewhere, get up the next morning. And at one point, as we were approaching Albuquerque, uh, I we pulled into a drugstore. And that drugstore had a spinner rack. And I successfully lobbied to get two more comics, a Hulk annual, where he battles Groot and a bunch of other uh, menaces. It had a Jack Kirby cover. It's all white, a lot of heads, but big Hulk head and the heads of the monsters. The Avengers annual also had a Jack Kirby uh, cover. And then the Thor annual I got at the drugstore. Two more annuals, Hulk and Thor. And Thor is battling Hercules. Zeus and Odin's images are on another Jack Kirby cover. Interiors by John Buscema. I believe Tony Dezeninga inking him. And those annuals I were under my arm when we checked into our hotel room. And that's they went with me when we visited our friends in New Mexico and spent the night there. They went back to the hotel. And then they carried me on my trip home. Annuals were magical. So me doing annuals, I was like, this is great. That's booking me for 48 pages at a time. Great paychecks. It was a great time to be Rob Liefeld. I thought, I'm buying my car. I'm getting a condo. Comic books is providing for my life. I'm saving for a house for my parents. But annuals, again, were kind of... The guy who did them the best was Art Adams. And I was doing fill-ins and annuals and nothing successive. Nothing with any consistency. Nowhere that you could find me. And my phone rang. And guys, it was my friend Todd McFarlane, who I had gotten to know the year before. And that familiar Todd McFarlane voice met me on the other end of the phone and said, Bud! Bud! What, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? And he's like, Robbie! What, what are you doing? All these annuals and these fillings for? Bud! Your phone was ringing because you were there for them. You were there for the fans with Hawk and Dove. And I knew exactly what he was saying. It was the light bulb that I needed to have somebody turn on over my head. Where have you been? You established a, a rapport. You got people going. You got them excited. And now you're just on every different interconnected book. And there's no consistency with what you're doing. And in fact, what he told me. He said, stop being a jackrabbit, a jackrabbit, you're a jackrabbit. And he said it just like the way I'm saying it, kind of a jackrabbit. One word, um, very powerful. You're jumping from bush to bush to bush and they can't find you. You're a jackrabbit. And you guys, truer words, more resonant, more kind of consequential words had never been spoken to me. I understood it. I got it. I needed to be in one place. It was time to call my editor and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to take on the New Mutants. I'm ready to be there. And you got to remember, this is a time when Todd McFarlane was grinding it. And when I say grinding it, that, that's, that's not... I mean that in the best possible way. I would go on to grind it on the New Mutants and X-Force. That means you're rolling up your shirt and you're grabbing your pencil and your ink and you're there over your table and you're working. You're working it. You're, you're, you're popping it out. That's when Todd was there for you. He was two Spider-Mans. It went bi-weekly for a period. He did like an 80-page crossover event with DC Comics at the same time. And he was coming off of doing monthly issues of The Hulk for a year. Segwayed immediately into Spider-Man. Did this great DC work. And then Spider-Man is so popular under Todd because he's transforming it and bringing it all the way back. Spider-Man also was, was falling. Not as interesting in the land of the X-Men-dominated comic book uh, world that we were living in. And Batman because Frank Miller had reignited Batman over at DC. Todd brings the heat on Spider-Man, and he is there for you. He is delivering. He is producing. The guy is a, a, a tremendous 
uh, a producer of pages and work. And it was inspiring. And I was he was right. So I engaged and said, it's time. And so my run became 86 to 100 on the New Mutants, immediately followed by an 11 to 12 issue run on X-Force. Now there's a double-sized X-Force and a double-sized New Mutants in there. So we can double that. Any You can juggle anywhere that I did 26 issues over a two and a half year period that was the, again, exceeded the 100 pages of Hawk and Dove, exceeded five issues. Suddenly you're hundreds of pages into me and uh, 400 plus, we've made a bond. I'm delivering for you. I'm coming through for you. The Rob Liefeld uh, name and brand is something that you are digging. And this is what made my peer group. Eric Larson stepped on, did Spider-Man, did Punisher. Jim Lee, Punisher, X-Men, Wills Portacio, X-Men, X-Factor. Dale Keown, The Hulk. We gave you runs. That's what made our careers. When I segued from X-Force to Youngblood, I gave you 12, 13 issues of Youngblood. Youngblood, Youngblood 1 through 4. Then Youngblood Strike File, 1, 2, 3. Then Young, Team Youngblood 9, which was the first part of a storyline that would then continue to Youngblood 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Suddenly you go for a, about a five-year period. I, I established two runs, and that's where our report came from. Same as Frank on Daredevil, Walt on Thor, Frank on Batman. You established runs. John Byrne from X-Men to Fantastic Four, the epic Jack Kirby run. How was the Legion of Superheroes a hot book? A talented voice jumped on and created a transformational run. Runs is where it's at. I miss Todd McFarlane. I wish he would be there for us again. He has not drawn an interior of a comic book in 25 years. I, I, I can hear you guys. Um, he, doesn't, he hasn't done a monthly comic, but he continues to dine out, much like Art Adams, on the Spider-Man and the Spawn run. And sometimes all you need is to make that connection. And to anybody who's in comics who happens to listen to this, who hasn't been uh, plugged in and doing a run, and I know some of you, there are some of you, I, I will not say your names out loud. I, I buy comics every Wednesday. I know there's guys out there. You are being the Jack Robert. The Jack Robert. They can't catch you. Being the Alpha and the Omega book on a crossover or being every few issues is not the way that you are going to transform your career. It is not the way you're going to make your bond. The Legion became an okay book to a bestseller because of a run. Daredevil, we've established all of this. This is the drum I beat all the time. When I was a kid, I saw an album by a buddy of mine. His name was Ted. He was super into kind of punk and alternative rock, and he, and he slipped me an album called Boy by U2, and we blared it in his red Volkswagen driving all over Orange County. And, and that album, Boy, had already been out for quite some time. So a few weeks later, U2 came out with October. And we were into October. And oh my gosh, we love the sound of this band. Well, it was only a, a year or so later that they put out War. And War with, with uh, New Year's Day and Sunday Bloody Sunday. And wow. And, 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 and then a year later, a year or two later, you know, uh, that they, they, they would put out the you know, Unforgettable Fire. And then Rattle and Hum and Joshua Tree. And maybe not in that order, but you get my picture. You two established a rapport. They, 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 they released so many albums. We got their run. They had a 10-year run. The Beatles came out with album after album after album in their early career. There was not these long gaps. And it established them as the preeminent pop group of their time. The preeminent rock band. 
the Eagles, every every artist that you love gave you a run of albums. Steven Spielberg gave us an exceptional run of his talents that started with Jaws through Close Encounters, through E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, right there you go. That's a filmography for any other director. He did that within a seven-year, eight-year period and then continued on and never looked back and just continued to deliver. The guys who are there for you, the guys who are putting in they're grinding. They are creating that rapport with you. Um, in the last couple of years, Deadpool, Bad Blood, 100 issues, graphic novel. That's five issues worth of work. I put five issues worth of work in between two hardcover, uh, two, two, two hardcover shells and gave you Deadpool, Bad Blood. Last year, I did Major X. Uh, between Major X, uh, zero, one, six, and then the Brigade issue that I did, I delivered over 100 pages. I'm all about now at my age... I want to deliver 100 pages. Snake Eyes, Dead Game, it's coming out. It's going to be over 100 pages. I am trying to still build that rapport with readers young and old. But doing a cover, doing a pinup, doing a short story is not going to cut it. You have to conduct the orchestra. How do you conduct the orchestra? You do 20, 22 pages a month, and you make them move, and you make them sing, and that's how people go, hey, this guy's on my radar, or how you stay on someone's radar. So, legendary runs. They take a lot of grind. They're uh, something to be proud of. They establish that relationship. I am hopeful that today's new guys coming into the business will invest into establishing their runs across uh, a great series of, of monthly offerings that, that, that turns people onto your work, that gets you invested. That's how when my friend says, I listened to your podcast, and at what point was Legion popular when Keith Giffen Gave everything he had over a four to five year period because the Legion would get re relaunched again after this Baxter edition I told you about in 1984-85. He'd do a five years later run that would happen in the late 80s. He became the voice of this franchise that became a big profit margin, a big uh, success for DC. Um, you know, if I don't do my run on New Mutants X-Force, we don't have cable. We don't get Deadpool, Domino. Shatterstar, all these characters. We don't get Elektra. Frank Miller doesn't do Daredevil. We don't get all those characters in the Fantastic Four if Stan and Jack don't jam for over 100 issues. You know, Steve Ditko, his first couple of years on Spider-Man, he gave you Electro, Doc Ock. He gave you Green Goblin. He gave you Vulture. He gave you the Enforcers. Oh my gosh. I mean, the guy just delivered. He delivered a style and a look that everyone is still dining out on today when John Romita Sr. was asked to take over Spider-Man, when Steve left the company, Stanley asked him for the first several issues to draw like Steve. He wanted to transfer them over in the most subtle way possible. Reflect Steve Ditko. Make your work look a little like him. John Romita Sr. wisely did what Stan advised and eased into what would become John Romita Sr. style, who would become arguably the second best-selling, uh, second best-known Spider-Man artist of our age. John Romita Sr.'s Spider-Man was on all the checks, on all the envelopes on all the stationery for maybe 20 years at Marvel Comics. The guy created the Spider-Man on lunchboxes, lunch calendars, t-shirts. He took over from Steve Ditko and his run became something completely different. But what it is, it's a run. And today we have had a great run discussing great runs. Thank you for spending this time with me. I love hanging out and doing these comic book observations with you. I so appreciate all the time that you have spent Thank you for the great reviews, the interactions on social media. 
I read them all. I try and interact with each and every one of you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Subscribe if you possibly can. Uh, recommend this show to others. Uh, I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. It's the full name, Robert Liefeld. No imitations. That has a blue check that tells you it's me. At inst On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. At Rob Liefeld. Got a blue check. There's some imposters over there. Don't fall for them. That's me. Everybody, thank you so much for spending your time with me. Enjoy the rest of your day, the rest of your week. Take care. Be safe. We will talk again soon. Thank you.